0: One,
1: two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that soars with our guests on the wings of their song stories and the ways music has become entwined with their lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Connery. Our guest today is Jim Boots Demarest. Jim is a leadership and executive improvement expert who began his career spending a decade as an active duty F-15 fighter pilot. He was a distinguished graduate of the Air Force Fighter Weapons School Top Gun Program and served in Desert Storm as an F-15 pilot. He's currently a brigadier general in the Florida Air National Guard. Jim graduated from Cornell Law School, where he served as managing editor of the Cornell Law Review while specializing in advocacy and international law. He then spent nine years as a commercial litigation attorney and partner in a national law firm in Florida. In 2004, he launched his consulting career and is the founder of Vector Point and Joint Force Leadership, both full-service leadership and consulting companies. We met General Demarest when he came in for an interview on WGCU's radio show, Gulf Coast Life, and after that, I knew we must get him back into the studio to hear his song stories. Hey there, Boots. How are you doing? Hey, good afternoon. Doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well, and it's okay that I call you Boots. As a matter of fact, I prefer it. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, What's the short version of how that came about? And Tell our listeners what it is.
0: So uh, my early career was as a fighter pilot in the U.S. Air Force, and every fighter pilot gets a call sign. It's not a nickname. Your pet has a nickname. Fighter pilots get call signs. And I showed up to my first operational assignment in Bitburg Air Base in Germany in the mid-1980s in a very go-to-war environment, and on my first day At work, I wore a spit shine pair of flying boots to go with my new flight suit and short haircut. And when I walked into my first fighter squadron, I looked around and immediately realized that nobody else looked like me. They hadn't shined their boots in a long time. And so the senior captain behind the desk stood up, gave me top to bottom. First thing out of his mouth, nice f***ing boots. (laughs) Thankfully, they took the F-bomb out. Um, And although I never wore the boots ever again, I've been known as boots ever since. Do
2: you still have the boots?
0: Uh, No, actually, I had to retire them. They are are older than most of the people on the podcast.
3: (laughs) Hey, Jim, so wait, okay. Did you have, I, I just, I gotta know this. Did you have at some point an action, like you had a helmet with like a, a label on the back that said boots? Like, did you guys really wear call signs? We really
0: wore call signs, uh, not so much on a helmet, okay. but we had name tags that were on Velcro and every Friday afternoon we would peel off the Jim Demarest name tag and slap the boots name tag yeah. on there. When we went off base to other locations, we would never wear our real name. We would always wear our call sign name tags. So there's a great number A great many number of people around who have no idea who Jim Demarest is, but they probably will remember Boots.
3: One of them must be listening to this. (laughs) Um,
1: Have you had any other nicknames in your life that weren't your call sign? Uh,
0: You know, before um, uh, the Air Force active duty experience, I was at the Air Force Academy, and I had some friends call me Demo, a takeoff on Demarest. Other than Demo, uh, it's pretty much been it. Uh, It's been Jim ever since, uh, except for my mother— and her friends sometimes call me Jimmy, but I don't typically respond when someone calls me Jimmy. And, of course, if I, if I ever hear James Thomas, I know that I'm in trouble from home.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. Um, where did you grow up?
0: So uh, born and raised uh, on the North Shore of Long Island, a little town called Northport on the North Shore. Uh, went to school there, went to high school there, and... Uh, and then left at age 18, never to return.
1: How would you describe the musical background of your time there as a kid? Like, what was happening around you?
0: Yeah, so the musical time, uh, it was the uh, mid to late 1970s, so some of the best music around was there. I happened to be um, in the band. I was not an athlete, so music was a huge part of my life. I was a trumpet player, played in the symphonic band, the wind ensemble, the pep band, the marching band, the jazz band, and so a lot of what we did revolved around music. I think because of my musical background, I had what some would consider eclectic taste in progressive rock, early Genesis, Gentle Giant. Hence the shirt. Hence the, the Genesis <laughs> shirt that I'm wearing today. It harkens back to the progressive rock of the mid uh, to late 1970s, which I think still is some of the greatest music ever produced.
1: Were your parents cool with the music you were listening to?
0: No parent is ever cool with the music that your children <laughs> is listening to. Mine would be no example, and I was no... Uh, not, I'm sorry. Uh, my parents were no exception to that, and certainly I was no exception to the music that my kids liked to listen to when they were growing up. Uh, but because... Um my mom was from Mexico, and my dad uh, was from the States. We had different music around the house, so they were open-minded to whatever we wanted to listen to, but they were not asking us where they could get copies of the albums that we were listening to.
1: Um, uh, what were they listening to? Like Contrast yours versus theirs. Yeah, you know, uh,
0: my dad listened to AM uh, sports and news talk radio. Uh, he was not musically inclined. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when he would whistle walking around the yard, it was often out of tune, and it was always the same song. Uh, my mother, when she listened to music... Um, typically was Mexican folk music around the house. But again, um, hmm. perhaps because all three of the kids played instruments, is that my parents valued the quiet around the house. So There wasn't much music going on in the house other than that was what was blasting out of my room, my brother's room, and my sister's room.
1: What's the earliest musical memory you can recall? I remember uh, that for Christmas
0: early on, my mother gave me, or if you will, Santa Claus gave me... Um, Simon and Garfunkel's Greatest Hits was the first uh, record that I remember. And that came along with a, a record player or a turntable, as they were known in those days. And so I wore that album out. It was the first one that I had. And that's the earliest recollection of uh, music that I, I can recall. Did
1: she get that for you because you knew who they were or because she just figured you'd like it? You were she, a kid. Yeah, she
0: just picked it for me. I don't know that I was old enough to have an opinion and rarely was I asked. Uh, so I think it was too early. I was a, a cornet player at the time. And so all the music that we were playing was um, classical type of music in that or trumpet specific. Uh, so. Um, I think she introduced me to Simon and Garfunkel early on, and it kind of...
1: Hoping to keep you away from Genesis. Well, I don't know what she was
0: hoping. (laughs) It didn't work, but... uh, yeah, uh, I, I I moved from Simon and Garfunkel uh, to Peter Frampton. Frampton Comes Alive was an early album and uh, kind of got into the 70s rock before getting uh, influenced by others into the more progressive rock scene.
1: Did you ever apply your musical skills to being in a band of some kind that wasn't school related?
0: Yes, as a matter of fact, we had a, a Chicago-type uh, band uh, that had formed at the high school that was playing gigs. And... Um, They had been around a couple years, and as my skills as a trumpet player improved, um, they asked me to join that band. So I was in a Chicago-type band playing mostly Chicago music, some other covers and stuff like that, but mostly the early Chicago um, Transit Authority, Chicago 2, 3, 4... You know, those mm-hmm. early Chicago albums. It was a blast to play, and we would play at high schools and bar mitzvahs and parties and that. It was, uh, it was great gigging, and it was great to get paid to play trumpet for once.
1: Did you consider it all when you went away to the Air Force Academy trying to pursue music in the Air Force? Because I know they've got a kick-ass band.
0: They do have a kick-ass band. I was not that musically talented. You were
1: and, not that level. No,
0: I was not that level, nor was I really interested. Uh, I think because I had had a full music career in high school, when I got to the Air Force Academy, I got introduced to airplanes generally and gliders specifically. They were cooler than trumpets. They were cooler than trumpets. I was not about to be in the drum and bugle corps when the alternative was to fly gliders in Colorado Springs. So that pretty much ended my music career. Not my love of music, but my trumpet playing days had never been the same since.
1: Did you get to go into Manhattan when you were a kid? Yes. As a matter of fact, uh,
0: one of the courses that we had my senior year in high school was Discover New York City. So every Wednesday, we'd get up in the morning, take the Long Island Railroad into New York City um, do some type of assignment um, but uh, would go into concerts very often. Uh, and that Mad- was New York in
1: the 70s. New
0: York in the 70s, Madison yeah. Square Garden, Nassau Coliseum, the Palladium, uh, Jethro Tull, um, G- Gentle Giant, uh, sort of the list goes on and on of 70s bands that were going through there and, and uh, because New York was so close we had access to a tremendous amount of music so we saw a lot of live music. We could actually be Picky, you know, and go to the shows yeah. and concerts that we wanted to see. And, uh, yeah, going to concerts was a big part of my high school experience.
1: Do you remember maybe the first big one that you went to that, like, kicks back out of your memory?
0: Gosh, going back to the first big concert that I went to, there were so many. I would say that the one that probably stands out the most for me would be Jethro Toll. Um, there was a band called UK opening for Jethro Toll. They were uh, an English-based progressive band unbelievably gifted musicians if you look up UK, Eddie Jobson um, Alan Holdsworth some unbelievable musicians I really went because I wanted to see the opening act Hmm. but when Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull took the stage I got an experience that uh, I had never had before in terms of performance and live music and the energy and Ian Anderson was an incredible performer and incredible musician so opened my eyes up to live music uh, in ways that I still remember.
1: If you can choose to you learn an instrument instantly which would it be?
0: Electric guitar, for sure.
1: Yeah? Did you ever try any of that? I mean, you had some musical brain power going. I I did,
0: and I would say one of the big mistakes of my early life was that I was given an opportunity to take a a guitar music course uh, near the end of my junior high career, and for reasons that I still cannot explain, I pitched a fit and said I didn't want to learn guitar. Yeah, you made a face like I make a face almost every day now because I had a chance very early on. Part of it was because I was left-handed, and the way the guitar class worked is there there were like 16 guitars attached to this one rack, and at the end was the one left-handed guitar, and whether I was worried about being that guy, I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, but I, I refused to take guitar uh, lessons at the time, a decision that I regret to this day.
1: Being left-handed dash is another dream.
3: There you go. Well,
1: <laughs> I call it gifted
0: now. At the time, perhaps not so much.
3: It's not easy being left-handed. Are I'm you left-handed? left-handed? Too, yes. Jared, the intern
1: is left-handed. I learned that today. Well, you know,
0: your uh, your life in the modern world is easier because back in the day, there were such things as left-handed scissors. I mean, there were specific instruments and accoutrements
1: that were specifically I remember left-handed.
3: That. I remember that in uh, elementary school, left-handed scissors, yes.
0: Yeah, they were marked differently, and they made you feel... Different.
1: I remember the Simpsons when the Ned Flanders opened the left-handed store. I remember that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, if you put a, if you picked up a trumpet right now, how would you do?
0: Uh, I wouldn't scare you out of the room. Um, I would be able to, so one of the things we used to do on a regular basis was we would Christmas carol as a family and so over the years about every Christmas I pull the trumpet out because it brings tears to my mother's eyes I think early on it was because it was beautiful uh, now it's because it probably hurts to listen to but I still remember a cu- couple of Christmas carols so I have a pretty good tone my endurance and range and stuff like that uh, leaves a lot to be desired but I can probably give you a good 90 seconds to 2 minutes of Christmas carols that you would recognize
1: could you get anything besides a squawk out of a bugle. Does that that apply? That's a great question. You know, the
0: the (laughs) mouthpieces are somewhat similar, so I probably could make a noise. Um, I'm not sure that it would make it all the way to a song, but uh, I could probably make a noise out of a bugle that would at least wake people up.
1: Okay, Uh, which would be the goal in most cases? That's the goal of a bugle, right? Uh, Right. Okay, it's time for your first song.
0: Well, fantastic. Um, so I searched the archives, and I'm going to take us back to um, my experience as a trumpet player in high school. As I mentioned earlier, um, I love jazz band. It was it was the band, and uh, at the time, there was a very famous Canadian-born high-note trumpet player by the name of Maynard Ferguson. Maynard got his start uh, and notoriety as a lead trumpet playing for Stan Kenton, and then went out on his own, and he had an incredible range and virtuosity. Because music was such a big program in high school, we were actually able to have a concert where Maynard brought his band and Mm. we sold tickets. And so I sat in the very front row, three and a half feet from Maynard Ferguson, and watched him play. I saw him several times in concert after that, but uh, there was always one song that he played that, you know, when when you hear it, you'll understand that the energy and the ability was incredible. But to watch him play this live at the pace and volume and with the energy that it brings... um, Brings me back to that time. And if you're not awake listening to the podcast, you'll be awake after you hear Maynard Ferguson's Give It One.
1: How old would you have been when you were there in that front row? Seventeen or eighteen years old. Seventeen. So that you were kind of at the peak of your trumpet prowess. I was at as that good point. as I was going to get. Right. That's
0: exactly right. But uh, the guys uh, playing for Maynard Ferguson were at a whole another level. One of them, Stan Mark, had actually played in the Air Force Band. He was a lead trumpet there, and was a lead trumpet for Maynard's band. So there was some connection that the band had to the military. But uh, these were incredible musicians in their own right. A trombone section, a sax section, trumpet section—all phenomenal. gifted musicians, and they had a rhythm section, guitar, piano, and that. So it was a a 1920, 21 piece, a big band that uh, would blow the doors off of any venue they were in.
1: Cool. Well, let's listen to it. Let's imagine you sitting in the front row thinking to yourself, I'm going to hang up my trumpet. (laughs) Uh, This is Give It One by Maynard Ferguson from the 1972 album MF Horn 2. Wow.
0: Yes, that will make you hang up your trumpet if you're in the front row in high school and, and you're sitting three and a half feet from the guy who's doing this live, and he was an incredible performer, and you would sit there and think that you know there's no way he's going to race through all these high notes, and sure enough, he would nail them. Every single time. It was an incredible thing to watch.
1: Uh, Before you talk, Richard, I'm going to talk because I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, The pilot episode of this podcast uh, was Richard Chinqui in there, so I interviewed him, and he picked a song called Tank uh, by who? The Seatbelts. It's uh, composed by Yoko Kano. And he described it as pure music, and I got like a minute into this, and I'm like, this is it. This is pure music, too. Is that what you were going to say, Richard? No,
3: no, I was, but although I, as soon as you said in the first episode, I knew exactly what you meant. Like, yeah, like that sounds like a, like a seatbelts song. Uh, No, I was going to, I was going to ask. So like sometimes I play, I play guitar and sometimes when I'm listening to like a, like a virtuoso, I can't even tell what they're doing. I just know that I can't like, I'm like, Oh, this guy's good. I can tell what he's doing. I can't do it. This one over here. I don't even know what he's doing. I couldn't imagine it. Is where are you on this with with that song? Like, can you could could you see it in your head and just not do it with your hands, or is this just like completely out of the ballpark?
0: No, this would be out of the ballpark, uh, unattainable, unreachable. Because um, aside from the energy uh, and the high note stuff, Maynard had an a, a unusual technique called circular breathing, yeah. which which means that he could play and breathe at the same time. So he could put the horn up to his face and run through this and seemingly not breathe and that goes against everything that you learn as a trumpet player that you know breathing and breath control is important so you would watch him play and you'd watch him hit all these notes and you'd say that that's just um Unique in unto itself, can't even understand how he does it. I'm just going to admire and just live in the moment and you know, kind of be in his presence.
3: Right on. So
1: you didn't even try to like play along to that when you were back then. Or oh did, no, or you, I, no, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, because
0: uh, no, I was certainly I was several octaves below that uh, as a trumpet player in that. So no. Um, and a couple of times, our jazz band did try and put some Maynard Ferguson songs in there, but since the lead trumpet is an octave or two above what anybody else could play, it takes a lot away from the music to play it down an octave or two. So, um, no, never really tried um, for good reason, because it... Uh, would have ruined the song for me, probably.
1: <laughs> um, where does that song or that music or that kind of music fit into your listening habits today? Is that still part of your rotation? It
0: is part of my rotation. Um, as you can tell, it's a very high-energy song. And so um, I've spent the last 20 years as a professional speaker. And sometimes when you're getting ready for um, a speaking engagement, like with a big room or a large group or something like that, you kind of warm yourself up and you get yourself you know, kind of emotionally pumped up. Uh, or uh, you're about to do something athletic. So in either of those typical cases, I've I've used Give It One a number of times as a song that I play right before Mm -hmm. I step on stage or the song right before I go onto the field or that as a way to make sure that I am um, at whatever peak performance I'm going to kind of go for that day. My starting energy level comes from there and Mm. hopefully just goes up from there.
1: That's pretty cool. Um, so you said Jethro Tull was the first band that got your attention. Would that be fair to say, or what would be the first band that you glommed onto?
0: So um, I would say Jethro Tull is is the concert event that I remember. I would have to say that the first band that I really glommed onto was a progressive rock band by the name of Gentle Giant. Uh, it was very popular uh, amongst the other musicians at Northport High School, a- and since uh, it was a uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, the seniors kind of introduced us 10th graders to the music they were listening to, and and Giant was um, one of those uh, groups that was not very well known, all unbelievably, incredibly gifted musicians. They did a lot of stuff with rhythm and syncopation and harmony and and some very technically challenging uh, music. Kind of like the genius level stuff we were talking about before. Like, how did they compose that? How did they perform it live? You know, and I saw them in concert in that. Um, And the more that we would listen to them uh, the more interested in I got, so I, I dove hard into Gentle Giant early on, and it branched out into other progressive music, uh, along with my Maynard Ferguson and big band listening. Uh, but that's kind of the earliest memories of something that I really, you know, glommed onto.
2: You tend to go toward the complex because that band is has, is very widely known for being extremely complex in everything that they do. And then, I, you know, your first song there, it's it's there seems to be a full circle kind of theme with you.
0: Yeah, you know, there there does seem to be that way. Um, I uh, enjoy the complexity, uh, I find it intellectually interesting and challenging. Um, I have done well academically uh, and in math and stuff like that, and so uh, I think it appeals to the um, uh, kind of the way my brain works. I, my brain operates at kind of a high speed, irrespective of what I say. Uh, and so uh, I think it appeals, that complexity, that p- appeals to the fact that I tend to be a fairly fast thinker. And so I can process that music and, and I get satisfaction and joy from it. Uh, so I, th- I would say a lot of my stuff is, is that way because I listened to Genesis would, would be the next band and another prog band, very complex in terms of the guitar parts and the synthesizers and the rhythm and, you know, the incredible musicians that were in Genesis, obviously. Phil Collins, uh, Steve Hackett, um, Peter Gabriel was up front. You know, these are unbelievably, incredibly gifted musicians way ahead of their time um, But, to your point, um, they were composed of very complex music.
1: Do you think you wound up flying fighter jets because you think fast, or do you think you think fast because you flew fighter jets? You know, I
0: think it started with thinking fast, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I was not on my way to fly fighters when I went to high school. Serving in the military was not necessarily on my radar but I knew that I wanted to do something at a high rate of speed. Uh, and so I got uh, I gravitated towards the Air Force Academy because my godfather had been a fighter pilot in World War II, And he would sit at the bar at night and tell stories that how he single handedly won World War Two uh, in the air war in Europe. And I was fascinated by his stories. And so I decided to attend the Air Force Academy. And uh, when I got there, I got exposed to airplanes. Uh, first gliders flying, but they would have flyovers. So you'd be there at the Academy, and all of a sudden an F-16 would you know fly overhead at 500 feet. And you, know, you look at that, and you're like, okay, here's someone who's getting paid to fly a jet at 500 miles an hour. Very complicated machine. A lot of stuff going on there. That's what I want to do. Hmm.
1: When you get to the Academy, do they put you on a track toward that, or do you put yourself on a track toward
2: that?
0: You know, uh, the Academy is designed to... Um, motivate people to be career officers in the military and obviously they want us to gravitate toward the combat arms uh, so for example my class of uh, 850 graduates some 450 of us went on to pilot training or navigator training so there certainly is uh, a slant toward operational air force missions flying being the big one so it, it's it's more that um, in my year group if you if you were medically qualified to fly and you wanted to fly you could go to pilot training so it wasn't like you were competitive Competing for the opportunity, if you if you graduated from the academy successfully, uh, so for example, I'm a poli sci major, okay, because I was interested in political science. Right, went on to fly jets uh, for ten years and did well at it. So. It was more the opportunity that they presented at the academy, and I was like, okay. And then once you get to pilot training, it's a competitive process. So if, just because you think you want to be a fighter pilot doesn't mean you're going to be a fighter pilot. The academy positions you to succeed in pilot training, but then you go to pilot training, you start all over. Right. And it's, every day is graded. It's It's a competitive event. Uh, and they rank order your one through sixty-five, and the number one guy or gal gets their number one choice. And I was lucky enough to be the number one guy in my class, and got to choose my fighter for the Operational Air Force, which was a, a dream come true.
1: And you chose the F-15.
0: I chose McDonnell Douglas F-15. They were F-15s and F-16s were the two top fighters uh, available at the time. I chose the air-to-air mission. I found that to be interesting. Uh, and very exciting, and so I went on to fly the F-15 on active duty for 10 years after that.
1: And you went to the school that is referred to, Clark like Willey, as Top Gun School.
0: Yes, uh, I'm a distinguished graduate of the Air Force's Fighter Weapons School, which... Uh, is kind of like the Navy's Top Gun
1: version, only much better. Oh, so Navy's Navy's Top Gun. Navy's Top Gun. Uh, okay. Air Force is
0: called the Fighter Weapons School, but uh, if you say that, people don't know what it means.
1: What year did you graduate from that, or attend that, or when were you in that? Yeah,
0: 1987 uh, was the year that I graduated it's from a there. The year after
1: the movie <laughs> came Yeah, the out. movie Top Gun came out in 86, and what I'm trying to get at here is, how aware were you of that? And it was For people like you that were flying, was it like, oh God, or was it like, this is really good, or somewhere in between? So
0: I, I was over in Europe in the mid-1980s when Top Gun came out, and so I I don't think I recognized or appreciated the full impact when I went back to Fighter Weapons School in '87. Uh, the Nellis Officers Club on Friday night was the place to be, um, especially if you were a bachelor, and it was a great environment. I went back to Germany, returned to the states in 1989, and was stationed at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. And and really, my time in. Um, in the states, from '89 to '92, flying fighters gave me the full appreciation for Top Gun and all the advantages it provided a young man flying fighters.
1: Did you play much beach volleyball?
4: Oh, I was going to say I was
0: going to say, gonna say <laughs> no. Um, we used to sing, but not like they did in the movies. Uh, most of the songs that we sang were were not uh, of movie quality, but uh, not a lot of beach volleyball. Uh, but look, we were racing around with our hair on fire, uh, flying high-performance jets, and uh, that was a—it uh, was a great um, job to have at the time. Wait,
3: Are there? Wait, no, you know I have to—I have to ask: how how do we feel about Danger Zone? You know, uh, I I like the music
0: from the soundtrack. Uh, I really do. Um, you know, some of the camaraderie that Top Gun depicts is accurate. The flying scenes are completely inaccurate. The, <laughs> yeah, um fair. Sort of the, uh, the hyper-competitive nature of pilot-to-pilot also inaccurate. We are wildly competitive people, but we're not competing against each other. We're competing against the Russians and the Chinese and the North Koreans and, and other existential threats to our country. So um, it was, you know, Hollywood's version um, The Navy did a pretty good job with it, I have to admit, um, as an Air Force guy, taking out the F-14, which is an inferior platform (laughs) compared to the (laughs) F-15. But uh, we Air Force guys benefited from Hollywood's take on the fighter pilot for sure. Are
1: there scenarios in which you would be playing music while flying an F-15?
0: Almost never. Uh, The one time when we did was that we would do ocean crossing. So we would launch from the States and, for example, fly to Europe. And on those very long flights, which were 8, 9, 10, 11 hours, we would put, uh, at the time, a Walkman headphones underneath our headset and play music there because it was long, boring flying. Other than that, the F-15 is a weapon system, uh, not an unscheduled airliner, and you have your hands full when you're flying and fighting with it. There's no time for music when you're when you're flying a fighter.
1: How many times do you have to refuel to fly across to Europe?
0: Uh, four or five refuelings. Uh, the airplane actually doesn't require that much fuel, but the way refueling works is that you always have to have enough fuel uh, so that if you got to the tanker and couldn't take fuel, you could actually make it to a runway. And when you're halfway between the States and Europe, you know, the nearest runway is 1,500 miles so you'll let away. So you
1: do go down to E. No,
0: you don't go down <laughs> to E and then fill it up. Uh, you keep it uh, near F. Uh, to make sure that if for some reason the refueling system fails or your airplane can't take gas, that you can make it to a runway because you do not want to be that guy that ejects out of the North Atlantic and has to float around in a tiny raft till they come get you.
2: I have to ask, have you ever done one of those zero-gravity-as-you're-flying kind of situations that you see people do all the time?
0: Well, uh, we would fly zero Gs in the F-15. The F-15 pulled up to nine positive Gs and three negative Gs. So as part of our combat employment, we would do... Zero Gs in the F-15 where you would... Floating is not the right word because you're strapped into the ejection seat. I've not done, uh, you know, the commercial floating thing. Uh, The closest thing for me is that... uh I'm a skydiver. Uh, I I have about 265 jumps that I got while at the academy because flying gliders wasn't exciting enough. I decided jumping out of airplanes would be something cool to do, so I did that it's my so senior fun. year. Yeah, <laughs> it's so have it, Yeah, I've only
2: done it once in my entire life, and you don't have to keep looking back at us. You can keep just staring at Mike, and we'll just be the people behind you. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not floating. Uh, it's just – it's not free fall. It's just very loud at first. That's how I describe it. It's just this crazy amount of sound, and then the – most amazing absolute silence I've ever experienced in my entire life once the chute is, you know, deployed and you're just sort of floating yeah. there. I've never never in my entire life felt anything like that before.
0: Yeah, I, I'm like you. I love the parachute ride as much as I love the free fall. Um, there's no sense of falling when you jump out. You know, once you make the commitment, you're right. You just accelerate the terminal velocity, which is a horrible name for that speed. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the greatest feeling in the world is when that parachute jerks you from 130 miles an hour down to to 25 or 30. But yeah, flying the parachute was one of my favorite things to do. Peaceful, quiet. um, You were free to go wherever you wanted. Um, And uh, yeah, I I love the skydiving part of it. And uh, the only reason really I got out of it was the Air Force decided after spending millions and millions of dollars to train me to fly the F-15, they preferred that I not get injured. And so I was encouraged to curtail my skydiving career while an active duty fighter pilot.
1: Have you done any skydiving, you know, as a grown-up? <laughs> well, I was going to say,
0: uh, when I went to New Mexico, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And that's absolutely fair. The short answer is the last skydiving I did was in New Mexico. When I, I moved back to New Mexico in the late 80s, I was still flying F-15s. I snuck downtown, did a half a dozen uh, or a dozen or so jumps, and then hung up the parachute. And, and have not jumped since. I've been thinking about getting back into it because um, I think I'd love to do that again. Um, but I haven't done it recently.
1: The, the, I skydived once. Um, it was the Christmas right before the millennial new year. So me and my buddies, we all just went out to Cluiston, actually. They've got a little airfield out there. And what I had this experience, I think you'll appreciate this, as a person who spends time in the sky. Um, so we jump out of this little, you know, tiny little plane. There, there's six of us all crammed in there where it's a tandem jump. So we're attached to somebody. We're falling. We're falling. I pulled the thing. We were suddenly not falling. We're soaring. And they had been burning sugarcane. And at that point, we're still really high up. But it smells just like you're right next to the sugar cane. And I, my first thought was, oh, smell goes up. You know what I mean? like, like it seems obvious, yeah. but but when you're a mile up and it smells just like if you're next to the sugarcane, it's it's I don't know something mind opening about that.
0: Yeah, there is something about uh, being above the earth, whether it's in an airplane, under a parachute, uh, hang glider, you know, sort of you name it. It's a different perspective. It gives you a different appreciation for things. You see beauty in a different way. You see the world in a different way. I, I think it's a very mind opening experience. Um, not to mention the fact that the courage involved in stepping out of a perfectly good airplane is obviously a mind-expanding experience for anybody who's done it. I don't have to explain what that what that means like.
1: I want to get to your second song, but I have to ask one more question. It seems like you could have at some point been on a place where you could have pivoted to try to be an astronaut. Is that fair to say?
0: Sure, it is fair to say. Um, so the path to astronaut at the time was for a fighter weapons school graduate, go to test pilot school, fly test pilot. I have several friends that went on to fly the space shuttle and stuff like that. Um, Astronaut was not interested to me um, because it's spam in a can. If you, if you ever see the movie The Right Stuff, um, the Chuck Yeager character correctly characterizes the astronauts as just passengers. Uh, they're not really fighter pilots. They're former fighter pilots that are now traveling in a vehicle. That training, that life, that mission never had any interest. Once you strap on a fighter um, that's fully armed and you're hunting down other fighters, everything else seems like rubbish.
1: Mm. You can quote him on that. Okay, let's go on to your second song.
0: Okay. So the second song comes from my fighter pilot days. I'm going to take us back to Bitburg Air Base, Germany in the mid-1980s. It was very much a go-to-war environment. And one of the things that's accurate about Top Gun is that a fighter squadron is, is like a fraternity. Our squadrons were were fairly good size. We had 24 assigned F-15s, and about 35 fighter pilots. And because I was stationed in Europe, uh, whenever you're flying fighters over the, overseas, the units become very close. You don't have all the amenities in the States. You don't have the same access to your families. We become a family, a very close-knit unit. Um, we work hard. We play hard. Uh, and so this next song comes from the Play Hard days. Uh, the song is from Dire Straits. And the story behind the song is that uh, when the time this song came out, the song is... Uh, Money's for Nothing. And uh, once we hear the song, what I'll tell you is that the song is great in and of itself, but what we did was one of the guys in our squadron completely rewrote the lyrics to the song and made it—so in so there's a fighter pilot version that I'll share a little bit with you here after we listen to the song. We replace all the words. Not all of them are good, but they're all uh, from the right place. And it'll give you kind of a sense as to what was— important to us what the camaraderie was like what I want you to listen or imagine as you hear this song is there's 35 drunk fighter pilots in a bar singing a song like this at the top of their lungs
1: with their own new lyrics
0: with their own new lyrics yeah turn the music up just loud enough to follow along with the music and the rest of us are going to sing over the top uh, with the lyrics that I'll share with you after we listen to it
1: well let's listen to it and I have by the way two versions I've got the full album version which is 8 minutes and 26 seconds and I've got the radio edit that's 439 Which one you listen we
0: gotta it? go with the radio version version for sure
1: okay let's hear it uh jared this is um uh dire straits money for nothing from their 1980s 1985 album brothers in arms 35 drunk guys all at
3: once so uh we're wondering do you want to do your modified lyrics to a karaoke version of money for nothing how's that sound
0: well what do you want to do i would let's just do the chorus i'm not going to sing the whole thing
3: the thing is okay we're going to try to click to somewhere in the middle that feels like the chorus okay yeah so.
0: we got some sh- hot tiger jet pilots the kind of kill commie makes with ease we've got to shoot those bastards. we've got to kill those communist pigs That's why I played trumpet and didn't sing. <laughs> it's a little high for me too, but thank I'm sure you. with a couple of drinks, it sounded fantastic. <laughs>
3: that is amazing.
1: That um, uh, that piece of paper, like that's typed, so that's like old. It is.
0: It, <laughs> thank a, you for that. Well, yes. No, but
1: you know what I mean. That's a photocopy of like. That's something that. That's that, the original. It, so yeah, 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 what
0: happened was uh, it was like I said, mid to late ni- mid to late 1980s uh, at Bitburg Air Base in Germany, and. Um, I'm not sure I have authorization to reproduce that. Uh, but
1: yes, yes. <laughs> I uh, Tara's like, I'm no, uh, take a I, know, of I it. know what you're thinking,
0: but now I might get chastised uh, for that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, because uh, there's a number of political incorrectness things uh, in here. Not that the original song doesn't have that, too. Uh, but yeah, Correct, so what happened right. was. Um, And this was just, one of the guys just thought this would be a great idea, so he slaved away at this, and one Friday night shows up at the bar with 30 copies of this and says, hey, crank up the song, and he sings it to us, and of course by then we had had a cocktail or two, so we were very enthusiastic with our support, and then after singing it a couple times, uh, it became something we carried with us, so we didn't need this anymore, and we would go... Uh, to a German air force base, and we'd land, and someone would put the song on, and we'd all stand up and just start singing it. So it was, uh, it was our Tiger Squadron uh, song for a couple of years. We thought it was hilarious and fantastic. We didn't care what other people thought, uh, because the only one that can check the ego of a fighter pilot is another fighter pilot. Uh, <laughs> and it was, but it was one of those things that. Everybody knew it, everybody sang it, and it was a great source of camaraderie because it was all about shooting down airplanes, which is what our mission was, and most of them were communist airplanes, and that's what we were hunting, so um, harkens back to my time as a fighter pilot in, in Europe in the
1: mid-1980s. That is so good, and you know if it happened today, that would all be um, on
3: video.
0: Yes, and, and uh, I'm fond of saying that had there been uh, cell phone cameras, uh, I would not have made it past Second Lieutenant uh, Jim Demarest, so, and that's not good or bad, it's just a reality, uh, so I was a captain at the time, and uh, yeah, we had a rule. Cameras and recorders didn't go TDY because uh, we didn't really need to document uh, these type of things. And certainly had they been documented uh, in, in the current world, you would never survive it. And that's not a reflection on anything other than the fact that it was a different world back then, and things were different, and the standards were different. And in, in ways, they've evolved for the better, and in some ways, they've just evolved.
1: Right. Um, your musical brain from having played, you know, trumpet and stuff. When you did get into becoming, you know, learning how to fly, was there an analogy somehow? Was there something about being able to, you know, use the abstract thinking that happens with music in flying fighter jets?
0: Absolutely, yes. Um, So the F-15 that I selected to fly had 350 switches and dials, carried eight air-to-air missiles, 940 rounds of ammunition, complex radar, radar warning receiver, heads-up display, all this technology. And it was part art and part science. You know, you could learn, you know, what each of these pieces of equipment did, but the art was to know what to look at when. It was managing that information. Being able to process all this information, things that you're seeing, things that you're hearing, looking out the window, process it very quickly and make lightning fast decisions. Um, and that, you know, that's a skill that I think was aided by the musical side of my brain. And uh, a fair number of guys uh, that flew fighters ended up having some musical experience in their past, piano players or guitar. So, you know, informally, I think I could correlate a connection between the musical side of your brain and the ability to process information and react and make decisions in that in in real time at super high speeds. Hmm. Because obviously not only was it important to make decisions, it was important to make the right decision. Uh, and while that only came with time, I think that there was a decided advantage for those of us who had uh, the left and right side of our brain you know, both working.
1: Um, so these days, how do you listen to music? Um,
0: most of it uh, – how do I listen to music? Yeah, um, like
1: literally like Pandora, CD players in my car, no, um, satellite
0: radio. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. Almost everything is uh, on my phone in iTunes. Um, I will upload um, – uh, CDs that I have I will take old albums you know digitize them put it but I run everything through iTunes it runs through my Apple Watch it runs through iTunes um, that's how I listen to music um, and um, yeah and uh, I have a collection of albums in storage. I'm about to pull them out. And, like uh, vinyl? Vi- like vinyl, yeah. Um, assuming they've survived stored for all these years. Uh, but I need to get a turntable uh, and I'll listen to some of the really old stuff or things that I haven't yet uh, digitized. But for the most part, everything's digital in my current library.
1: When was the last time you bought music that had physical form? Can you even remember?
0: Well, CDs count as physical form, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, gosh, uh, CDs. When's the last CD I bought? Uh, my wife was was more of a fan of CDs, so she would have, you know, Tim McGraw's latest release, she would have purchased uh, on a CD, uh, and she liked keeping it that way. I would say for me, um, last CD I bought was probably five years ago, um, realizing that all this, everything that I liked, was either already in iTunes or I could pull it off a of vinyl.
1: When was the last time you discovered new music? And I don't necessarily mean brand new music, just new music to you that all of a sudden you were like, I'm going to listen to more of this.
0: You know, I'm always on the hunt for, for new music. Um, I have, uh, although I've kind of focused on progressive rock, um, big band, jazz, classical. So I, I, um, kind of, I'm always seeking out, uh, new music. There are some genres that, that I don't like nearly as much. I have not been able to figure out rap music, uh, as a, as something to enjoy. So I don't have any of that. Um, you know, for those of you who love rap music have at it, but it's, it's just doesn't, doesn't meet my taste. Um, But uh, I think most of the music I get turned on to now is through my brother. My younger brother is a musician at heart. He works in the tech industry, but he was a music major in school, has always been sort of the musical conscience of the family. And he'll turn me on to stuff and say, hey, you should listen to this or that. And I'll sample it, and sometimes he's right on, and other times uh, not so much. But, uh, hey, um, at least I have another uh, opinion, another source of new music. Because I don't listen to the radio all that much, and when I do, it's typically classic rock or, you know... um, 80s, 90s, that type of stuff. So I'm not getting exposed to as much new stuff unless I hear from it from others.
1: What were you listening to when you drove over to the studio today?
0: Nothing, because I drive uh, and do different things in the car. One of the things I do is I drive in silence to think and prepare. So I was thinking about the stories that we were going to talk about. Uh, about today. And so I, I drive quietly and uh, I don't have music on uh, uh, at home all the time. And I think it's perhaps because when it's on, I'm actually listening to it. I don't need noise in the background. When music is on, it stimulates my brain in a way that I'm going to pay attention to it at some level. Hmm. And so, for example, I, I'm an author. So when I write, the house is completely quiet because these other stimuli, whether it's the TV on or the radio music, or whatever, um, distracts me. Hmm. And I'm sure that's a personal limitation. No. But, uh, so music fits in. Um, I use it for exercise uh, w- when I walk, run, that type of stuff. It's, it's it's a big part of exercise. When I travel on airplanes, I often put in noise-canceling headphones. I don't want anything else. And I will walk airplane, airplane through the terminal. I don't need... It's really pretty cool if you're listening to music and walking through the Atlanta airport and your eyes are taking in one experience and your ears are taking in another. It's, it's pretty cool. It allows me to show up more Refreshed after travel than, than I otherwise would.
1: Uh, you'd probably do a lot of traveling.
0: I done I, I've done maybe, a lot of maybe traveling.
1: not as much this past year, but no, not
0: as much as this past year. I'm a Delta two million miler, which is not something to aspire to, but I have done a lot of travel as a consultant and professional speaker, and then and obviously my ten years in the Air Force, I was uh, flying myself around all over the world. So done a lot of travel, and uh, music is an important part of that because it allows you to uh, detach when you want to. Uh, to kind of get yourself in the right headspace. As I mentioned before, I use music as a way to prepare, uh, sometimes just as a way to relax or distract myself from something else to give myself a chance to, to calm down. Sometimes I'll listen to music before going to bed to kind of slow myself down. Obviously, I won't be listening to Maynard Ferguson, if that's my goal. <laughs> right, right. Um, but uh, like I meant, a lot of people have different music that I use for different
1: purposes. Um, have you ever done karaoke?
0: I've done a little bit of it. Um not extensively. Um, others tell me that I sing a little better than I give myself credit for, but um, my voice is not all that strong, meaning that if I sing a couple of songs, my voice gets tired, and mm. this this harkens back to uh, something that happened during my childhood in terms of straining my vocal cords. Uh, and I noticed this as a professional speaker that, you know, I had to kind of guard my vocal cords. So as a result, I don't do that much. I will sing a couple of phrases here and there on the radio in that or if I'm particularly inspired a little bit. But uh, if I sing for any length of time, it wears down my voice. And since my voice is important to my vocation, I try and protect it.
1: Are you a dancer?
0: Um, well, I think given enough drinks, aren't we all? <laughs> um, uh, I like to dance. I'll go out and dance. Uh, I'm happy to go out and dance uh, I don't go every Friday night, so I don't necessarily seek it out, but I'm also not afraid to go out and dance. Uh,
1: Okay. Um, (laughs) Do you have any TV theme songs committed to memory that you would sing with us if we pulled up the song? Oh,
0: gosh. Um, I'm not much of a TV watcher. So if the TV isn't, you know, circa 60s, 70s, 80s, yeah, I I get it before color. I I understand that. Um, (laughs) um, Gosh. I don't know. The Jetsons. It's got to be a cartoon. The Jetsons.
1: It does have some words. Uh, I, I know. Um, Jared Jared's excited by the Jetsons. Okay. Yeah. Um, I,
3: while you are asking the question, I was like, the Jetsons. And he said, so I'm like, <laughs> okay, you I'm a mind happen. reader. Got it. Yes, you are. Pull up the Jetsons. I think we have to do it.
0: Jane, his wife. See, that's the thing I that don't know. That
3: was pretty good. While
1: he's pulling that well, up, I have to concerned. just act real quick. Are you related at all to the actor Jim Demarest, which IMDB told me was an actor known for roles in Magnum P.I. and Hawaii Five-O? Uh,
0: if, if I am, uh, I don't know it, and he owes
1: me royalties. <laughs> okay. um,
0: because I'm a little older, uh, there was an actor called William Demarest, who was uh, Uncle Charlie and My Three Sons. And that's who people used to ask me, because My Three Sons was actually running on television when I was growing up. He doesn't look like us, he didn't talk like us, but that's the only other Dem rest of any notoriety that I'm aware of.
3: Okay. All right, stand by.
0: We really had to, get, had to do
1: this, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. We're going to see how good you go.
0: Gosh.
1: Very orchestral. It is. He's going in the chair.
0: Yep. <laughs> Gosh. Now I don't even know if I remember if there's any words in it.
3: Meet Jackson! Jackson!
0: Jane Oh his boy Elroy His boy Elroy then Jane wife
3: Daughter
1: Judy This is way fuckier than I remember it Yes Jane
3: his wife
0: Jane his wife This is the original theme song Yeah there's not a lot of other
1: Yeah this is I think the good one to sing to cuz I don't have to sing
0: We have to find something else I'm afraid righty. so let's see here well,
1: wow that, I, have, I don't remember it that way I remember it being less complicated and impressive it's a banger
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's see here you know uh, it's got to be Bugs Bunny cartoon or uh, but, but there's no words to that let's see what theme song um, as you can see I'm not much of a TV watcher um, make some suggestions from that era uh,
3: um, let's see I Dream of Jeannie didn't have any words nope the Flintstones. Yeah, Flintstones. Meet the Flintstones. They're a modern. Flintstones. Meet oh, the okay. Flintstones. Oh, it they're, right. it they're a modern Stone Age family. Oh, wait, 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 wait. From, the
1: From the town of Bedrock, there's there a place for out of history. That's right. That's <laughs> right. With the family
3: down the street.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <Whew> something, something feet. Courtesy of France Two Feet. I
3: think we
0: They're a yabba dabba two time, a dabba two time. We'll have a gay all-time.
3: Yes. Okay. I'm gone. I'm gone. You lost me. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. What we learned learned is Jim is Flintstones, not Jetsons. Yes. There we go. Okay. um,
1: We're going to stay in this realm for just a little longer. uh, The silly realm, I mean. Okay. Um, If you were a championship wrestler, uh, what music would you enter the arena with?
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, So, I have a Mexican-American background. My mom, born and raised in Mexico – And obviously the Mexicans are famous in this area. So it would be some conquistador type of, you know, very high-energy brass, you know. And
3: what would that be?
0: So, um, let's see. There's a Stan Kenton song, um, Malaguania. Oh, parts of Malaguania. Yeah, Yeah, it's a Stan Kenton version. Pretty upbeat. The beginning is a little bit slow. We're just going to hear it
3: for a second. Yeah,
1: go for it. Malaguania. What would your uh, wrestler name be? Oh. And boots. No. Oh, no. Yeah,
0: I'd, I'd have to have a wait, tag team partner. Wait. My brother and I would be the Taco Brothers. No question about it. Wait, what,
3: is, what is Spanish for boots? Botas. Botas. He'll be a heel wrestler named Boots. Oh, yeah. He'll be a heel. Get it? Yeah. Oh. Jared, you're too young for dad jokes. I
1: was going to say. <laughs> no, I'm not. Hey, if you,
3: meet, if you met my grandfather, you will totally understand where I get my sense of humor from.
0: Okay. Well, your grandfather and I are probably around the same age, so.
3: <laughs> it's the Taco Brothers! <laughs> That's right. It's
0: the Taco Brothers! Bienvenidos! <laughs>
1: oh, it's so good. Spectacular. Um, if you were a cocktail or a drink of some kind, like a distilled you, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. A
0: distilled me. Yeah,
3: so, so we like it. Um, Let's say you're back at that bar <laughs> where you guys were. Hold on. You're back at that bar where you guys used to sing all together. Okay. And the, and the bartender is going to name a drink after you. Well, I guess I know the name of the drink has to be. It has
0: to be the boots. The
3: boots, right? Okay, so how do you make a boots? Like, that's the question.
0: Okay. I don't want your listeners to get the wrong idea, but there's a fighter pilot drink called Jeremiah Weed. <laughs> it is a 100-proof bourbon liqueur. That can only be consumed as a shot, uh, refrigerated cold, because otherwise it's horrendous. <laughs> so the drink would be part bourbon, part Jeremiah weed, um, frozen, um, set the top on fire, make sure you blow it out before you shoot it down. It, there's no sip in this drink, it's going right to work.
1: All right. That's perfect. Um,
0: What's it called? Jeremiah Weed? Jeremiah Weed. So, Jack Daniels, Jeremiah Weed, a cigarette lighter. Don't stand too close. You burn your eyelids or your, your um, facial hair. When you speak from
1: experience, it sounds.
0: Oh, my gosh. So, Jeremiah Weed, for those of you who are so inclined, here's what I will tell you. Weed makes ordinary people do extraordinary things, and extraordinary people do the impossible.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll quote you on
3: that too <laughs> that's a clip
0: please uh, make sure you say Jeremiah Weed because if my children hear Weed they're going to get the wrong idea yeah, of their so, dad who grew so up so in the I 70s have here, okay? I,
3: I have here the boots Jeremiah, <laughs> uh, two ounce Jeremiah Weed Jack Daniels float flambé
1: perfect how old are your kids?
0: My daughter, Gabby, is 23 years old. She's in Air Force helicopter pilot training, so she's old enough to drink a Boots. My son, Chad, is 20. He'll be 21 in October, so he'll be soon old enough to drink a Boots. He's a college uh, athlete and soccer player up in Virginia.
1: Do you have any memories of them bringing music to you that you were like, nope? Well,
0: early on, we encouraged our children to practice music, and the unfortunate reality of giving your children the choice is that they might not pick the instrument that you like the best. Gabriella's first instrument was the violin and poorly played. Um,
1: it's very hard to be anything but poorly played for a uh, Yeah, a while. And
0: uh, <laughs> it, you cannot get far enough away from it. Our cats would, as soon as she pulled the violin out, the cats would scatter. They'd run. So um, it really is more the sound of a novice violin student. Um, we were very mindful of of the lyrics because words matter. And so the genre wasn't important. We wanted to know what message the music was conveying. If it was an, um, an anti-military, if it was anti-police or authority, if it involved recommending violence, um, th- those were absolute non-starters. And I don't care how terrific the music was. It was about the content. And so... And I mean, a country song, if it had the wrong message in there, we'd cut that stuff out. So it mattered a lot to us, the, the, the things that our kids put in their head, either through their ears or through their eyes, video games included. So we were very involved in those decisions. It's not that we knew we would protect them forever. We wanted to make sure they were exposed to music and video games and movies and television that was appropriate for their developmental age.
1: I like to think we are what we eat, and that includes what comes in through here, and what comes in through here, and what comes in, you know what I mean? You're
0: absolutely right. It influences us, uh, and remember that our thoughts become our words, our words become our actions, and our actions represent what we'll be someday. And so it's not about protecting them from the world. It's about exposing them to those things and explaining the implications of these things and then letting them make the grown-up decisions that, that we hope they'll make uh, in the right way.
1: All right. It's time for your third song.
0: All righty. Third song. Oh, Oh, so the third song is going to kind of take me back to the end of my active duty military career. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was an F-15 fighter pilot. I flew fighters in Europe for four and a half years, went to the Top Gun School, got deployed and stationed back at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. Beautiful place to fly fighters, uh, overland, supersonic, big ranges, state-of-the-art training facilities. And then in the summer of 1990, Saddam Hussein rolls across the border of a little country that no one had ever heard of at that point called Kuwait. And those of us who were flying fighters um, took a deep breath and said, OK, here we go. And so from that started Operation Desert Shield, where within the first 72 hours or so, They launched uh, F-15s from the first fighter wing at Langley Air Force Base, followed shortly thereafter by A-10s from Myrtle Beach as a blocking force. Remember that our Air Force and country had not been in combat since Vietnam, so this was new to all of us captains and below. The more senior folks had seen combat before, but for the rest of us, it was a new experience. And so as a fighter pilot flying on active duty, uh, getting ready to go to Desert Storm and then ultimately going to Desert Storm, um, I remember... Because of when I entered the military, the, really the revolution that had occurred. When I first entered the military in 1978, it was only three years after the Vietnam War. My choice of vocation was not all that popular with my friends and a lot of people that went to the oh, high school that I went to. Right, 850 kids graduated from Northport High School. Two of us went to the military. Myself and my best friend. My best friend quit after a year, so I was the lone survivor I had to go to the Air Force Academy. And, and uh, I didn't apologize for that. I was doing what I wanted to do and I loved doing it. But I was also mindful of the fact that when I came back from the Air Force Academy to visit my high school in 1979, I had people spit at me. Hmm. So I knew what the world was like there and I was under no delusion at the time that it was going to be easy. Now, fast forward to the early 1990s when um, The Air Force was built up. uh, Our combat capability is at its peak. We've recruited, we've trained, we've got equipment, we've got weapons. And now we're going to go to the desert. And I remember the country being behind us. You know, as we approach Memorial Day, it takes on a more serious note. But I remember the country being behind our efforts, our president, our military. And kind of the anthem for the Gulf War and Desert Storm was Lee Greenwood's Proud to be America. And I don't have that much patriotic music on my uh, on my uh, playlist and that, but this one I have, and it takes me back to a, a time that I'm very proud to have served.
1: You want to listen to it now? I'd love to. All right, this is uh, Lee Greenwood's Proud to be an American, also known as God Bless the USA, first released on his 1984 album. You've got a... <clears throat> You've got a good love coming. So okay. that, so that, um, that elicits a lot of emotion. Clearly,
0: it does. It does. It was a, uh, it was a great time. Uh, a lot of things happened, and it was a, it really was a great time uh, to be a military member. Such a change from my experience in nineteen, you know, seventy-eight, which had, was not that far behind. You know, twelve years doesn't sound like a lot of time, but. The country went from still reeling from the impacts of Vietnam to kind of unified behind our military and uh you know you you hope that you're appreciated for what you do, but you don't go into military service with the thought you're going to get appreciated or thanked uh, but the song really brings back the memories of um, how much we were together and, you know and as I look at us in mod, you know now uh, I certainly harken back to the time when we as a country were much more together, and anything that brings us together, and I'm, you know, um, as, a, as a currently serving military officer, uh, war is not a pretty thing, and I don't wish for it, and no military person in their right mind does. But one of the things it did was it brought us together as a country, and we could certainly use more of that now.
1: What would you say is the general tone of the American public to members of the military these days, relative to those two times?
0: Yeah, well, certainly it's much better than it was uh, at the end of the Vietnam experience. I would say it's certainly not what it was uh, in the Gulf War time. I think the last couple of years have seen an unfortunate increase and and a lot more political activity by current or recently retired military members that has undoubtedly uh, tainted some of the reputation of our military forces. Um, there's In part of our professional military education, we are taught to correctly support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. It doesn't mean just everybody outside. It means everybody inside and outside. And we are uh, apolitical. We are run by our political government, uh, and we're trained to be that way. And, And there's a really important reason for that. We wield unbelievable combat power and capability to wreak havoc, death, and destruction in unimaginable ways. And you don't want that uncorked or unleashed. You want it controlled by a civilian authority, not by military professionals. We want to be as best that we can be at doing our job, um, but we, we need someone else to decide when to pull the trigger. So anytime military members um, start going down the political route, which of course they have the right to do, uh, they start to get away from that principle. And there are some very specific guidelines about military service in terms of what you're allowed to do politically and what you're not. We're allowed to vote and a bunch of other things. What we're really not supposed to do is use our military service as a platform or any way to suggest endorsement of any political position. And that doesn't end when you retire. And unfortunately, um, a lot of very senior ranking military people have decided that They see it another way and that they're going to use their rank or their position or their experience to influence the political process. You know what? If you want to run for office, go for it. Uh, But to go out there and spout out things that are divisive um, to me is an abuse of the trust that you're given when you give the oath. And and that's just the way I feel. Uh, So you can look for Jim Boots Demarest. You won't find a thing political about me out there on Facebook, Twitter, nothing. Uh, And it's not that I don't have these opinions, uh, and I have the right to these opinions, but I don't share them because I don't find it to be appropriate.
1: So you're a brigadier general in the Florida Florida Air National Guard?
0: That's right, Florida Air National Guard.
1: So when you decide that you're going to do a podcast in which you might do things like sing the Flintstones theme song, do you have to, like, run that up the flagpole? Or do <laughs> you just have to? You
0: know, <laughs> n- not really. Uh, we have a, a, a really great public affairs team, and, and they let us know kind of the left and right limits. So I'm I'm very well uh, prepared uh, to not talk about a variety of things. Uh, this particular podcast has nothing to do with anything uh, that would be remotely connected with that. So obviously my goal is not to um, embarrass the Florida Air National Guard, um, but the way I've always lived my life is I take what I do very seriously. I I don't take myself very seriously. And so if someone hears a brigadier general in the Florida Air National Guard singing the Flintstones, perhaps they'll think that, hey, the guy has a sense of humor and uh, maybe this is someone that should be in a leadership position. So uh, I'm not worried at all that anything that I say uh, is going to be used against me or otherwise uh, other than making fun of me, which I'm perfectly fine with, um, I'd say go for it.
1: <laughs> um, what was the last concert you went to?
0: So my wife was a huge fan of Tim McGraw, and so uh, we would go to Tim McGraw about every about every year one way or another, and I'm trying to think if I've been to another concert since my last Tim McGraw concert. Uh, other than Tim McGraw, um, a friend of my brother-in-laws, was uh, personal friends with someone in Matchbox 20. So when Matchbox 20 came here a couple years ago, uh, we were backstage and stuff like that. So I, I got the uh, rock star treatment to a Matchbox 20, which was phenomenal. But probably the last concert was uh, Tim McGraw somewhere in Florida.
1: Okay. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet simultaneously, which would you choose?
0: I know this pause may or may not show up, but I really need to think about this one.
1: Take all the time you need.
0: I figured that you might say that, so I'm going to go into my iTunes because it may be something. I'm going to
3: drink some Diet Mountain Dew. There you
0: go. Do the do, baby. Okay.
3: Drinking Diet Mountain Dew. Hashtag not an ad. Hashtag could be an ad.
1: Yeah, right. Hit us up, Mountain Dew. Yeah.
0: Okay, here we go. Creed. Um, are you ready? Okay. No. Kind of a high-energy song. It's a, you know, are you ready for what's to come? Uh, and, and you can use that in a lot of different ways because uh, life throws curveballs at you all the time. So it's a matter about being ready uh, for what's to come.
1: Um, what would you say you've listened to the most in your life in terms of songs? Is there a song that pops out that you've probably heard the most?
0: I'm sure there is, and it probably takes me back to Chicago. I would say probably beginnings from Chicago because I've been a longtime fan of Chicago, and it was one of the first songs I had to learn to be in the rock band. So it went through my head a lot. Uh, Because when you're you're trying to... um, to play in a Chicago-like band. It's not just the notes, but it's the style, the you know, the way, the volume that they play. And and so I listened to it to try to look for phrasing and for a lot of things. So I really tried to get... Um to model my style after that, so that when we played it live, it sounded more like the recording than Jim Demarest's take on Chicago's. And once you do that with one song, like once I got beginnings down, then it was easy to kind of take that style and plug it into any other Chicago song that we were playing. So beginnings from Chicago.
1: Um. You listen to music through iTunes, so you probably aren't listening to albums that much. But are there any albums that you would prefer to listen to in their entirety?
0: You know, I, I probably misspoke. I listen to almost predominantly albums. Oh. I'm, I'm very, very few single you just, song kind of guys. I use the
1: digital. I use means the digital format, but yes, oh, okay. the only time I
0: listen to songs or playlists is for working out or running. Other than that, it's it's almost always albums.
1: Okay, so perfect album.
0: Um, perfect album.
1: An album you won't skip a track on.
0: Oh, easy. Interview by Gentle Giant. Okay. And your listeners would never have heard that before, but Interview by Gentle Giant has got to be one of them.
1: Um, What was your process for choosing your songs?
0: So um, what I thought about was um, I really started to think about songs that would take me back to a particular time or location, And um, as I thought about that, I realized that, you know, that the music that I listened to, um, I've been listening to a lot of the same music for a very long time. And so there weren't that many songs that took me back to a particular spot. So I really tried to take to heart and think, not really about the spot, but what songs, you know, could I relate to a particular time in my life? Um, And so I started thinking about my Air Force career and flying fighters, and that's when Money for Nothing came up. I thought about my Desert Storm experience and with Desert, with uh, you know, the 30th anniversary of Desert Storm this year and some other things around the Gulf War that I'm currently working on, I was reminded of that time. And then I think my roots as a trumpet player and musician always bring me back to Maynard Ferguson. So that's, that's the process that I went through. And, and when I think Maynard, I think give it one. So that's what I went through to pick the three songs for today.
1: Do you ever play video games that involve flying? It just occurred to me because I know like flight simulators these days are like you know
0: not often, and here 's why, <laughs> so um my mother came to visit uh, me when I was flying f fifteens in in, uh, in Germany, and we happened to go out someplace, and there was a flying video game that I had never played. And I decided to play this flying video game in front of my mother and crashed several times. And it did not give her a sense of confidence that her son was in the right career field. And so I decided perhaps that since I was doing the real thing that I didn't need to substitute in uh, a video game for flying the F-15.
1: I figure. Have you – you know, you haven't flown F-15s for quite a while, but do you, do you have aspire to fly other things like ultralights or something? You know what yeah, I mean?
0: Yeah, you know, like, uh, for, uh, gosh, 10 years after moving to Naples, I flew flew uh, light engine propeller airplanes. I have flown hang gliders. I've done skydiving, as I mentioned. Um, I'm probably going to get back into the a light airplane uh, flying mode now. I've got a little bit more time as I'm getting ready to retire from the military here early next year. So I'm looking to get back and fly little Cessnas, uh, both as a sightseeing um, and a little bit of a mental break, and for transportation purposes, because I do travel, and uh, there's nothing like having your own airplane uh, to
1: go places. Cool. Um, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are today?
0: The 14-year-old musician who wanted to be an oceanographer um, would probably not have ever dreamt um, that he would have flown fighters for the United States Air Force. Um, I think on one hand, he would think it would be pretty cool. But on the other hand, he'd be like, gosh, how do you get there? Um, So the fighter experience was something that I think the 14-year-old would would look forward to. I think the same 14-year-old would say, why on earth did you ever go to law school? And it's a question I continue to ask myself now because I did go to law school, practiced for nine years, never loved it. My original intent was to go into politics, which is the only reason I went, but then had uh, some bills to pay when I graduated from school. So he would ask, what would make you leave flying F-15s to go to law school? That's a hard question to answer even to this day. And then I think later on, um, as a senior military officer, he'd be like, Man, how did you get so old? Because <laughs> at 14 years old, the general officer seems like a dinosaur. It seems like a young man to me now. But uh, when I was on active duty as a pilot flying F-15s as a captain, the generals were all the old guys. So I am now, you know, one of the old guys.
1: You're doing pretty good for old. If you're old, there we go. Um, well, by
0: military standards, I'm old.
1: Po- politics? Anything in your future, maybe? I mean, you said you went to law school because you were to too I did. Not too you know, late, and right?
0: uh, it's funny because. Um, uh, I'll be leaving military service here, but I have a very strong uh, desire to serve. And so I originally went to law school uh, to go into politics and decided against it. But uh, I certainly think there's a potential for a political future uh, for me. I have a unique background um, between being a fighter pilot and an attorney and a leadership consultant and an author. I've I've worked with a lot of Fortune 500 and global 2,000 companies and professional sports teams. So I've got a, a wide variety of experiences in a bunch of different industries and I have leadership experience. And those things all translate into things that we need in our government.
1: And you can think fast. I want politicians that I can see thinking. I can see you thinking. As, I was I like going to say, that. as long as they're thinking, you know, like I
0: said, I don't care if you think like me. I just want you to think. <laughs> yeah, right, right and, on. Right and I'm on. a thinker.
1: So. Um, okay, it's time for you to recommend your three people.
0: Okay, well, uh, a lot of people to choose from uh, in terms of the three people. Where did your paper go? I thought I handed it to you because it was the lyrics. Oh, I put it on the floor. <laughs> all righty. So there are three people that I'm going to call out there. It's a shout-out. The first one is a uh, a family shout-out. My brother, George Demarest, who lives out in California, uh, was the real musician of the family. George played trumpet uh, alongside of me. He started several years after I did. He uh, was better than I was, and he got right up to the chair right next to me my senior year in high school, could have challenged me and supplanted me as the lead trumpet. Out of respect, I'm sure it wasn't fear, um, didn't challenge me, went on to study music, incredible musician in his own right. My brother George Demarest would be a great guest on your show. Okay. The second one would be my friend Julie Kester. Julie's the one who pointed me in this direction. Julie's been in town for a very long time, a dear friend, a great person, um, brilliant, um, accomplished. I don't exactly know the role that music plays in Julie life, but she lives her life to a certain rhythm. I'm sure she'd be a great guest for you. Okay. And the third one is another local, uh, local attorney, Chris Lombardo. Uh, Chris Lombardo is um, a very unique and energetic guy. He's got his hands in a lot of different things, very passionate. He's been involved in, in the community in a lot of different ways. I don't know Chris's musical taste, but Chris is inherently interesting. He's great to talk to. He'd be a great guest. I think you'd have a hard time keeping it down to an hour podcast with Chris Lombardo. So those are the three that I'm going to shout out, call out, and suggest come and join you here on this show.
1: Well, let's make that happen. Okay, I let's had, do it. I had one last question pop into my head that I have to ask. I asked you earlier if we put a trumpet in your hand. You said I can get maybe, you know— Some Christmas songs out Yep What if we plopped you Into a modern You know whatever F-17 What are they flying now Like what's the top Well you know uh, F-22 F-35 Okay How would would you do If they plopped you in And said go take off boots
0: So um, I'm going to answer that In two parts Number one If you plop me back In the F-15 I'm sure I could crank it up And go fly it Because I haven't flown Too much else after that My mind is not cluttered Your muscle memory Yeah I've got 2,000 hours And 10 years of flying it That one I could fly Um, the others, uh, the hard part is actually getting them started. Once you figure out how to start them. <laughs> Where's the key uh, you know, go? <laughs> uh, flying fighters, you know, the flying part of it is, is not that hard. Uh, they're not meant to be hard to fly. The hard part about being a fighter pilot is fighting with it. It's a weapon system. And so employing it in a tactical environment is where the hard work is done. They're easy to take off. They're easy to land. So I feel comfortable that I would survive the experience based upon <laughs> the safety features. I might not be very good, but I could safely take off and land. And I have some confidence that uh, almost any fighter pilot would say the same thing, at least anyone worth their salt.
1: All right. Well, thank you for putting up with all our fighter pilot questions during our music podcast. Um, Any final thoughts you want to leave us with?
0: You know, um, I do have final thoughts. And uh, as I was driving here today and thinking about it, um, I I was thinking about the – role that music has played and continues to play in my life, Um, whether it's the people that I've met through being a musician, whether where music takes me back to different places where I use music for different things uh, to remember people, uh, to get myself uh, motivated. It's an incredibly powerful tool. You know, you think about it's a three or four minute event and people, you know, create this out of nothing. I'm always inspired by composers and people, you know, from the arts. They give us something and think about this. There's a song out there that I haven't heard in 30 years that if we played it right now, I could sing along with it. There's something wired inside your, your brain that only music can do. And that's why I think it's so important. And uh, that's why I'm delighted to be here and share my musical experience such as it is with you and your listeners.
1: Well, we really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and host. Chris Duffis is our executive producer. Jared, the intern, Gonzalez directed today's show. Our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're jumping back to the beginning of year two with episode 54 guest, Lieutenant Colonel Robin Marr. His third song story came to my mind as we were talking with boots. Robin is a naval aviator who once flew Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama as part of the Presidential Helicopter Squadron, and he commanded Marine Heavy Helicopter Squadron 361 from 2004 to 2016, and it was during that stretch that this song story
4: originated. The helicopter that I fly, there's a way to hook up uh, music through the the uh, some of the inner, the ICS system mm-hmm. and uh, the headphones. And uh, when you're not doing some sort of mission or or something that requires, you know, everybody being completely focused, usually at the end of the night, there was an opportunity. Hey, sir, do you mind if we plug in some music? Uh, And so it was a way for us to, you know, sort of uh, kind of relax a little bit, decompress. A lot of times it was you flew all night long and you're on your way back home and the sun is coming up and it's just this sort of very like, uh, uh, you know, warm safe feeling uh all of a sudden and this song i one time i handed them my my ipod and i say hey, play you know, play this song and they they hooked it up and and everybody i think kind of it was just that that perfect uh confluence of hmm. of events and everybody's like that was the most amazing thing hmm. and it's uh and so then it kind of became for us you know hey sir can we put that on there on the way back home and we're like yeah absolutely Let, let's put it on
3: keep listening Next time on Three Song Stories. No, uh, that's a six.
1: Six? That's high enough to start a game, right? Okay, we're going to play a game of d d <gasps> oh,
2: This is awesome. <laughs>